0: Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coaching the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the Coach and the Crooner, Timberwolves podcast. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Coach and the Culture podcast. Timberwolves specific, but basketball culture is the overall umbrella. I am Coach Frank Centwally. I am on the staff at Richfield High School, Um, have been a longtime youth coach at every level, girls and boys, high school, all the way down to AAU all the way down to traveling in my beginning stages. And this podcast is all about analyzing and evaluating the Minnesota Timberwolves and just the basketball culture from the coach's mindset and coach's perspective. And thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us as we continue to build this Coach in the Culture podcast, hopefully to championship status. We want the Larry O'Brien trophy of Timberwolves podcast sitting on my mantle over here. And joining me, of course, is the super producer himself, brother Lloyd. Coop, what's happening, Coop? What's up, man? Oh, oh man. It's a good day. It's a good day. Did you work today, brother? I worked work. and I'm tired. But I'm good. Oh man. Well, we we need you have about an hour of energy, man. We can't have you falling asleep behind the switchboard. Oh, oh man. man. I wish the people in radio and in in podcast land could see that big old smile. That does not look like a brother who is tired. That looks like a brother who made some money today. That's <laughs> yes, what's up. That's what's up. And uh we are joined today by a special guest. Um, he goes by the name of Lance Gardner. He is a former uh collegiate basketball player and current small business owner, owner of the company known as Yes Trees, Tree Trimming and Tree Removal. So if you are out there in podcast world and uh the trees in your backyard are messing with the shading or the lighting so you can't put your projector screen up for next uh spring when the timberwolves are playing in the nba finals and you can have your backyard watch party and you need to get them trees taken care of you need to go ahead and call yes trees what's happening lance gardner welcome to the coach in the culture podcast what's up pops uh I'm, I'm glad to be in here um we've been talking about it for a
1: while now so um, I'm excited to share some, some basketball talk with you, seeing as how that's what 99% of our uh, conversations consist of anyways. We might as well put it to
0: use. Yeah. This is nepotism 101 right here. Uh, you probably caught it. He said, what's up, pops? Lance is also my son. So it's, you know, we're also promoting family around here. And, uh, Lance is being very humble. He was a, um, very good basketball player at Roseville High School and then went on to play collegiate ball at a couple of different levels he kind of bounced around but he got that degree so that's all that we care about around here and um, so Lance can talk both basketball and tree trimming and tree removal and today he's joining us to talk a little bit of Timberwolf Oops, but Lance before we get into the Timberwolves man talk a little bit about um one let's start with basketball talk a little bit about uh, your experience as a player playing for multiple coaches, multiple different schools, and uh talk a little bit about from the player perspective, what you think a good coach does <clears throat> to galvanize a team and what are things that <clears throat> many coaches you've had struggle with? Uh Yeah, so I've, like you said, I've played,
1: for almost, I would say six different, uh, coaches between high school and college. I went to four different colleges and I, so obviously I had a new coach, uh, every single year. Um, there's a wide range of, um, you know, strict coaches and player coaches. And, um, I, I think that one of the biggest things that uh, I took away, um, the most beneficial coaches I dealt with uh we're able to adapt uh to the players that were coming in throughout the system. Obviously in high school and college you're constantly getting new players. Um so the ones that are able to adapt to the player and and not just kind of be set in their ways where where the coach that I felt like um excelled the best and we 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 had the, the best outcome as a as a team, um communication with the coach, um somebody who whose door was always open, um and, and you could go talk to and just kinda uh, uh, shed light on what you saw as a player out there. Um, so, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of coaches. Obviously at a professional level, it's a little different and I don't have much experience at all when it comes to that. Um, but again, I, I would say number one is just being able to adapt to the, the type of players that you're dealing with.
0: That's what's up. Um, you know, I, I think you mentioned a very important thing, which is communication and that relationship and, you know, we're far removed, I think, from the days where you have the the Bobby Knight style of coach, where now today is you're very much a, you know, psychologist, and you're navigating that fine line between having that, you know, really strong kind of open door relationship with your players, but also being able to set expectations and being able to set standards and culture. And I think that, you know, as we're looking at the the NBA playoffs right now, and, you know, you're looking at Mike Malone, who's got his Denver team in the finals, and he's done an amazing job of slowly building culture there, and you can tell by how they play. Um, And then, you know, probably, in my opinion, the premier culture in the NBA is the Miami Heat, and we were talking off air about how, you know, they've taken role players and guys that just kind of have a – workman like professional approach to the game and they've laid out the rules and the order and the structure of their culture. And you don't necessarily have to be a first round draft pick to excel in Miami. You have to be somebody that is committed and dedicated to their ideology. And I think that at every level more than maybe ever before um, that culture and that ideology is prominent and it's showing all the way at the professional level. What, what would you say um was the best culture that you had a chance to play in?
1: Oh, um, I would probably say my time in Chicago, um, at Elmhurst, uh, the, again, it was like you were saying the the, the coach had high standards and high expectations, but he did a great job of again, incorporating the players kind of, um, different personalities, different playing styles, different, um, abilities, but having that standard and that, that, um, set way because I've also been a part of teams where the players had a little too much say. And now all of a sudden the coach kind of is losing that control over what's going on. And, um, and now there's really no, um, set foundation or again, culture, but I would say, um, my time in Elmhurst was probably, uh, the most cultural. And they, after I left, they ended up going, I think to, took second in the national tournament for division three basketball. So, um, I, I would definitely say that their culture is was top tier for what I had been a part of. So you told on yourself, it was addition by subtraction, huh? Yep, It sure was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you no, know, they, they went out and did their thing after I left. Um, but they, they
0: had, they had plenty of talent without me. That was a beautiful team to be a part of. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, well, let's, let's pivot a little bit then. Um, again, before we get into the Timberwolves, cause I do want to, um, stay on this kind of theme of, of coaching. And, you know, you're kind of a coach now in a, in a completely different arena as the owner, um, you know, the chief, the head chief of your own small business that you've grown from the bottom up. And so, you know, much like a coach, I suppose you had to have a vision and then you had to, you know, weed through all the different, um hire hirees and employees until you found the right team that saw the vision the way you saw it and so you know even though you don't coach basketball how would you maybe make a comparison between running your own company and kind of coaching in the uh professional um you know labor world to maybe what you could have taken from some of your coaches that you had in basketball and apply that to you know running your company mm-hmm
1: Uh, yeah, definitely a lot of different personalities that I have to deal with. And I think that's the number one thing is just trying to figure out, um, how you can put the pieces together. Um, keeping, keeping my employees happy is probably one of the biggest struggles that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. And that's, you know, that's the same with players. Um, you want to make sure that they're in an environment where they're able to thrive, um, the best that they can with their abilities. Um, so I would say just trying to figure out, um, you know how to put the pe- the, the puzzle pieces together um, on a day-to-day basis and make sure that um all the all the bases are covered with what what my employees have expressed to me that they need um and you know when it, i run plays all day long i i, I run do. plays in my head on when we're going to do different jobs and and um you know connecting the different job sites it, it's it's tough to say um, how I would compare it to coaching other than, you know, trying to fit, fit what I've been given and try to make the best with
0: that, with the different personalities. And I think you just brought up something. Like you said, you're running plays in your head on how we're going to navigate this job site and then get to this job site. And so that's preparation. And of course, you know, the measure of any good coach is how prepared are you to prepare your team? Um, so I think that's. Really great insight. Um, and so just, uh, to, to, uh, recap for the listening audience. Now, would you say you do more tree removal these days than trimming? Or is there a season where you're doing a lot of removal and less trimming or more trimming and less removal? What is kind of the, the season, so to speak, of what you do?
1: Right. Uh, spring is definitely more trimming uh, mainly because the ground is still soft. Uh, We're to the point now where we haven't gotten much rain. Um, the snow has melted for a while now and the weather's picking up. So the ground is harder, but, um, mostly in spring we're doing trimming so that we're not tearing up people's lawn when we're coming in and out because the ground is so soft. Mm Uh, but now, you know, now that we're getting towards early summer, um, you know, removals, I would say are, are top on our list here. We try to save trimmings, um, not only for the springtime but also for winter. Um it's best to trim your trees in the winter time. So uh summer into fall we're really focused on the bigger removals where we can uh you know move our big equipment in people's yards without having to go back and put down dirt and grass seed and help people kinda rebuild that lawn.
0: That's what's up. So it sounds like you guys got a a preseason where you just kinda trimming and then you got your season, you know, where you're tearing up stuff. And then you got your trade deadline where you're trimming again. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely <laughs> you gotta, a cycle. You got the playoffs. <laughs> yep,
1: it's the cycle, and the uh, the playoffs for me is the winter time when I get to go and uh, take my little vacation. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so you out early then? So you got to? So the Timberwolves season going? You know, playoffs coming. I'm on vacation in Hawaii.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. I get to go kick my feet up and enjoy my championship.
0: <laughs> oh, that's what's up, man. That's what's up. So. For those of you just tuning in, um we're speaking with Lance Gardner, the owner of Yes Trees, former collegiate basketball player, former standout at Roseville High School. And so, Lance, I'm glad you gave us a chance to get insight into what you do and talk a little bit about how what you do in the professional world kind of can be relatable to a basketball season. So let's talk some basketball now, man. Let's go ahead and, and talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves, Um uh, there's been a lot of chatter in the Twitter sphere.
1: Yeah, real, real quick. I just wanted to add what, when we're getting into this basketball stuff, I didn't really mention, um, what my relationship with the Wolves are, um, and how often I watch them and, and what, and what kind of my insight will be coming from. So, um, I pretty much watch the most Wolves games, uh, throughout the year here. I obviously have you. Um, in my life, so I have somewhat of a coaching aspect when watching the game. Um, but a lot of it for me is coming from more of just a fan, um, kind of analysis, uh, point of view when it comes to other teams in the NBA. Uh, I've, I don't really follow too many of the other games that are going on the playoffs I do watch. Um, so I just wanted to share with, uh, with the listeners kind of what my perspective is is going to be coming in here. I, I am a fan with a little bit of. Um, analysis and, and coaching background to watch while we're watching these games. So do we trade cat or not, fan? <laughs> um, no, I, I, I would say we don't trade cat. I, I think there's so many unknowns after this year that you can't give up so soon. I think we obviously seen that the team is extremely talented, um, in winning a game against Denver. And I, I do understand that. I've been a part of teams where we go up 3-0 in a tournament and we kind of come in with that little cushion to where we don't have to quite play as hard because we know we still got four games to lose before we're really out of it. Um, so that plays a part into it too. But um, I think that the Wolves have a ton of talent and there's definitely some things that need to be worked on. But I think it's you you, you got to go a year and see if these guys can stay healthy together. Yeah, I agree.
0: And, and I'm going to, uh, add to that, that the Denver, the Denver win in that series, that was legit. It, you know, I don't think Denver had a mindset of we have a game to play with or we have some games to play with or this team, um, can't compete with us. So we're not going to compete as hard in game four. And I think, um, what people have to understand is as a coach, one, you, you know, and as a player, you're trying to win every game. Every game is its own entity. So, and and pride and ego, you never want to lose. I, you know, if you're playing pickup ball and you run five, run five off in a row, you're not thinking, oh, well, I can go ahead and, you know, slough off game six because we won five in a row because you're mad when you lose. You hate losing. And the other part is the NBA playoffs is a grind after the NBA season. So the least amount of games you can play to get to your ultimate goal, the better. So if you got a team down 3-0, you're trying to win that fourth game so you can get that rest. You know, especially in the first round. You don't want, you know, what they say, the saying, don't play with your food. You don't want to play around and let a team win one and then they get confidence and they win another one. And next thing you know, you're in a six-game, seven-game series when you could have been in a sweep, which is why it's so commendable what Denver did the other night against L.A. and why Miami is probably kicking themselves because now they have to go to Boston and get a win against a Boston team that got their swag back and then if they don't win in Boston, all the pressure is on Miami in game six because you don't want to look up and you're even after having a 3-0 lead and you got no more home games left. So, you know, I think, you know, kudos to Boston for how they played last night. And uh, I think that's a perfect example of, you know, why I don't think Denver took game five, uh, uh game four against Minnesota lightly because let's be honest. They were about an inch and a half away from being in overtime in game five. And then who knows what happens? And if, you know, if Anthony Edwards shot goes in and somehow, some way that puts him on a heater. Cause he wasn't making shots from three that whole game. Now you got to deal with five minutes to Anthony Edwards on a heater. You could be looking at game six in Minnesota. And now if you don't win that game, you should probably still win in seven, but now you've played seven games instead of you had an opportunity to only play four, that means your playoff season is extended. That's wearing tear on your body and the opportunity that uh a key player could get injured. So if you don't have to play extra games, you don't want to. So um the other part about that that I will add to that Denver win being legit is I mean that uh win in Denver or win at home in game four against Denver being legit is um in all honesty the Timberwolves have probably played Denver tougher than anybody that they've played. And yeah, KD and Devin Booker literally shot Phoenix to two wins, which KD and Devin Booker can do, but you never really felt like Denver was in any trouble in that series. Mm-hmm. And obviously they swept the Lakers. And looking at the numbers, Nikola Jokic's lowest shooting percentage was against the Timberwolves. Karl Anthony Towns, with Rudy Gobert in support, defended Jokic better than any other team has defended him so far in this playoff series. And um so part of it is, you know, the Wolves just didn't have enough firepower. But I want to give a lot of credit and we talked about this uh two episodes ago as to how hard the Wolves played and competed against Denver after that game one in which they were probably just flat out exhausted after the two playing games. Um but, you know, the Wolves uh gave Denver a serious run. They held Jokic to his lowest average per game so far in the playoffs. They held him to his lowest rebounds per game so far in the playoff series. So, you know, those wins were legit. And, you know, I agree with you about keeping the team together because we don't know what that series looks like if this team is, you know, at full strength. We know that Denver is going to have to play even better if this team was at full strength. We know that the wolves has some things that caused Denver some problems, i.e. Nas Reed, um, Jaden McDaniels. Um, and so, you know, I've been an advocate of do what you can without, you know, totally destroying what you're building to bring back Nas Reed and run it back with this group. Um, so I, I'm, I'm in the don't trade cat camp as well. So I, I agree with you hundred percent on that. <laughs> They didn't get blown
1: out in any of those games either. I I mean, they – Not for game one. They did get blown out in game one. (laughs)
0: Looking at the scores right now. They got beat by 20. Uh, By 30. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, But, but again, I almost give them – you kind of knew that was coming. I mean, the Laker overtime playing game, they put everything into. And then they had to figure out how to get it back again to deal with Oklahoma City. Um, who was coming in off a win and probably feeling like they could beat the Wolves and make it to the playoffs themselves, and you know the Wolves played an extremely good game against Oklahoma City, but I just think that, and that was in the game one against Denver, I believe was their third game in five days, their third playoff game in five days, and I just think that the tank was empty and they needed to recharge. Right. Yeah. No. That, I I hundred percent
1: think we the the trade cat thing is just when I see it every time I'm just like. It, why like what 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 is the reasoning why are you so ready to give up on this team that clearly has talent from the all across the board I mean even the bench has players that are extremely talented that other teams are going to be wanting here I mean Nas Reed is a is a hot commodity I I, Mm -hmm. and he's coming off the bench I mean there's there's a lot of a lot of good things going here um the people that say the trade was a bust already, I, I don't understand how you can say that when the team didn't play together at all for the entire year. I mean, there's everybody pieces were missing every other game. I don't, I, I just can't wrap my hand around how people can say something was a bust when you didn't even see it happen.
0: Well, people are real fickle because the same people that were saying the trade was a bust. If you look on the Twitter sphere and the Timberwolves community, the same people that were saying the trade was a bust are now talking about how Minnesota won the trade after watching D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt play for the Lakers in the playoffs. And you know, Coop, you, you, you're, you're my witness. I said back in November, I said, they didn't really give up much in that trade. You know, if you want to count the draft picks, but where's the Minnesota Timberwolves pick that Utah got this year? 16, 17 outside the lottery, right? So how many players outside the lottery turn into that dude versus how many players outside the lottery either become minor role players or never quite make it in the league. So, you know, we don't know. We didn't know what Walker Kessler was going to be. We still don't know what he's going to be because it's not like teams are game planning around Walker Kessler. We know teams game plan on both ends of the floor around on Rudy Gobert. So everybody's all excited about Walker Kessler's stats and second or third in the rookie of the year and, What could he have done? But I still contest that if Rudy Gobert's not on this team last year, last season and Cat misses 52 games, the wolves don't make the playoffs. That's what I believe. So, you know, and we'll never know, but looking at it from a coach's perspective, I feel like Chris Finch is probably more excited at the idea of this Rudy. And cat pairing and this whole starting five coming back with Mike Conley now and running it back. Um, n- going into next year, then he probably was when the Rudy trade was made. Because again, if I'm the coach and I'm looking at it, now I have a little bit of a sample of what does and doesn't work with this unit. I know what I need to prioritize and not prioritize going into the off season workouts and going into training cap next year. I know what I need to tweak and how I need to establish a style of play that will be successful for the personnel I have. And, oh, by the way, the personnel I have is elite. So now I've kind of created um an impartial piece of pottery with the clay that I have because I didn't really have the time to – mold it and bake it and let it, you know, settle the way that I would have liked to because of Cat's injury and the short training camp uh, in terms of Cat being sick and these guys never really having a summer or weeks on upon weeks to really get cohesive. Well, now what I know is my guys are going to fight to the end. And we talked about this a couple podcasts ago as a coach when you got guys that are going to fight to the end and that's what that team showed in game five against Denver and game four against Denver. And then you got guys with talent. And now you have the time to actually start to build a style that fits the talent. If you can stay cohesive, because people also have to remember Chris Finch is only into going into his third full year. So he's like Mike Malone who Denver didn't give up on when them first years were shaky. Remember, who was the head coach when Minnesota beat Denver in game 82 and knocked them out of the playoffs? Mike Malone. Did Denver fire their coach? Did Denver break up the squad? Nope. They said, okay, that was a stepping stone, right? Then the next year was the bubble year, and they were rolling until Jamal Murray got hurt. Did they trade Jamal Murray? Nope. They said, we get our guy healthy because we like what we see. And I wish Timberwolves fans could look at it from the coach's perspective and realize now Chris Finch has an entire spring and summer with a sample size to figure out how these pieces can fit. The players can figure out how the pieces can fit. And hopefully everybody stays healthy over the course of the summer and you hit the ground running. And I just think that's a formidable five. And I think it's a five that if they can figure out how to defensive rebound and how to play transition defense. And if they can play as hard game in and game out as they learn how to compete against Denver, they can be dangerous. They can be really, really dangerous, but that's all mental. And I want to run, run back something that we talked about off, off of uh, Mike Lance, um, about cat, right? Since we're talking about, do we or don't we trade cat?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When you were in Chicago playing at Elmhurst, uh, you said that summer you had a teammate that, uh, played a little bit of pro ball who's now playing overseas and he was working out with Jimmy Butler. And tell the listening audience what you were told way back in the summer of 2018. This is the summer before Jimmy Butler strong armed his way out of Minnesota. Tell the listening audience what, uh, what you learned back then and what you told me back then. Cause you told me Jimmy Butler was gone. Mm-hmm. Back in, what was it, June of that summer, before training camp, before all that else happened, you said, Dad, Jimmy Butler's gone. Tell the audience why you knew that was. Yes. Yeah, so I,
1: like you said, I had a connection down in Elmhurst. Um, and we were just talking basketball and talking about the Jimmy Butler situation in Minnesota. And he had expressed to me that Jimmy Butler, um, said that cat and and andrew wiggins both of them did not have championship mentality um they didn't have the championship work ethic they didn't have the championship drive the championship desire um and as we see now that that was jimmy butler's that's been his goal from the beginning so um at that stage in your career and at that point in your life if you're not surrounded by people that want to win championships you don't have time to waste i mean jimmy butler was is I would say still in his prime, but at that time he was growing into his prime. And um as a basketball player, as a business owner, if you're not surrounded by people that have the same drive and desires, you, you definitely don't want to be there. And he was, I think he was working on getting, uh you know, more money under contract and, and a whole lot of things were going on. And and if you're going to commit to five, six years with a team, um you don't want to be somewhere where guys are not taking it seriously.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, and he's also coming off an of injury. If you recall, he got injured at the end of that season, previous season, and came back just in time to help them make the playoffs. And, you know, Jimmy Butler catches a lot of flack. But, you know, there's old saying, it ain't bragging if it's true. Yeah. And, and he has um, always been one to bet on himself. He's always said, I want my team. And if you're going to pay Wiggins a max and you're going to pay Cat a max, well, then clearly you can't pay me a max. And, uh, and, and get me out of here. Cause I don't believe that I should have to take less money to play with guys that I don't feel like have my drive. And, you know, and then when he went to Philly, he kind of forced his way out of Philly. But again, you know, um, Philly had invested in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And, you know, uh, Jimmy was like, I, I want my team. And, you know, of course the year he gets out after he gets out, uh, Ben Simmons doesn't take the layup and Atlanta beats filling in the conference semifinals. And to this day, Joel Embiid has not made it to a conference finals. And Jimmy Butler is one win away from being on his second NBA finals appearance in Miami with less talent, I would say, than a Joel Embiid and a Ben Simmons or Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins Uh, uh, doing it his way. So, you know. Maybe you knew something that nobody else knew. I'm sure you probably wish you could have told Timberwolves fans. Don't be surprised when Jimmy Butler shows up to practice and blows it up at the end of the summer because I got insider info that he ain't happy. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I, and and I I I don't think that that's something that only Jimmy Butler has said about Cat. I think I think that that's something that Minnesotans and all the basketball community has been feeling that way about Cat for a long time is how much he really, you know, obviously he loves the game of basketball, but what's his, what's his real drive and desire for the game? Is he, you know, just playing it because he loves the game and he's good at it. Or is he someone that's in the gym with that Mamba mentality? That's on, I'm bringing Minnesota to a, to a title. Um, So I I don't think, you know, Jimmy Butler is the only one that's had those, those thoughts about Cat before and, and Wiggins. I mean, both of them, they, they both were very much question marks on
0: how how bad they really wanted it. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. And but it's also that since you say that, it's also why I hope they don't trade Cat because that was five years ago, and I just feel like after everything Cat's been through, his time is now. And I feel like if the Timberwolves and I understand there's financial reasons to trade Cat, right? I understand that. With the new collective bargaining agreement, which, and, and his supermax getting ready to kick in next season, which that's about all I want to say about that because you can listen to Dane Moore. You can listen to Ben Beacon, um, Dane Moore, the Dane Moore, uh, ba- uh, pod, d- basketball podcast, Ben Beacon locked on wolves. Um, you can listen to Johnny Krasinski, the Johnny Krasinski show. You can listen to those guys break down, um, the new collective bargaining agreement and salary cap. I like to just think from a coach's perspective. And from the coach's perspective, I feel like Cat is a guy who, um, he's lost people close to him. Last year, he had basketball taken away. Um, he's now been in back-to-back playoffs, and maybe not had the type of showing that would endear him amongst the basketball public on the national stage. And he's about to be 28 years old. And I think that this is the worst time to trade a guy who I think is already been all nba twice on talent and I feel like now he's going to take it to the next level on determination and he's got the road dogs to run with him you know or you could say he's got the road dog to take the baton and he can run with you know like you can just, and, and it's your team take the baton I do not mind being a really really strong alpha two you know um and I think that's easier anyway when you play a post position that's the other thing that you know looking from the coach's perspective that the 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 average fan doesn't really understand that in today's modern basketball you need bigs ask golden state and you need really good bigs ask golden state but it's very much a guard wing game right and so um and i think it's easier to take a big man out of the game than it is to take away a uh, anthony edwards type player however Of course, people say, well, look at Jokic, look at Jokic. And I would say my response to that, one, Jokic is different. He plays the game different. Jokic is also massive. And he is comfortable in a system around guys that has years of continuity, identity, and trust. And so when you have a big that is that comfortable in the system that they're in and the system is built around their skill sets, it's harder to take that big man away especially when at the end of the day, Jokic is a pass-first big man. So it's a lot harder to take away a pass-first big man where Jokic knows I can score 18 points and still look really good and we could win. If Cat doesn't score more than 25 points in the playoffs, the Timberwolves are going to struggle to win even if Anthony Edwards goes for 30, i.e. Game five against Denver. So, um, you know, there's Denver has some exceptions, but Joel Embiid, how many championship series has he been to? Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the other dominant big man in the league, right? Yep. How many did Giannis get to before they got Brooke Lopez? <laughs> yeah, none. It was that right? Was first Right? And so for people that are like, oh, this too big thing is never gonna work, nothing is ever gonna work, fans. If you don't give it time to build continuity wise, it takes time, continuity and trust and culture. And if you keep making switchups, nothing is going to get built ever. And we're seeing it right now with Miami
1: and uh, Denver in the finals. I mean, this is, A4? if you look at Miami, yeah, yep. I mean, it's not over yet. Um, but even if you look at Miami's roster at me for someone who doesn't, watch basketball every single day I look at the roster and I'm like who is Gabe Vincent who is Gabe Vincent sorry Vincent I can't even say his name because I don't even know who he is <laughs> um, but I'm looking at these rosters and that that's strictly uh togetherness uh determination leadership uh the culture that uh sponsors put together that's and that shows that you know even with the Warriors dynasty that was created that didn't happen overnight I mean that's Every once in a while, you're going to get, grab a team with LeBron, Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade. And there's just nothing you could do about that. But for the most part, you know, championships, I'm learning that in my life right now. Nothing, nothing you want worth having is coming easy. So, um, you know, and that's the society we live in today too, is everything is just instant gratific- gratification. So, um, you know, to, to give up on something that we literally just, you know, uh, committed to. Less than less than a year ago is is just is
0: mind blowing to me. Seven games, seven games. That starting five, the the projected starting five, has played seven games. Together. Nobody expected Kyle Anderson to come and be a facilitator. That
1: took half the season to even come into play. And now look, we might have one of the best uh unknown facilitators to 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 run a team. I mean, all of this stuff has to come into play in the off season. Um, I think that uh, I think it. With where Cat is right now, I do agree that he has to get that that mindset switched to where, okay, I've done everything, now it's time to try and win a championship. Um, but I think that that's also dangerous uh, for the value of Cat because if he doesn't make that that switch now, I think teams are going to see that. And unless you are a championship team that needs one more player and you've already got it all put together – the value for Cat is going to diminish by a lot if he doesn't
0: take this opportunity right now. And that is the risk, right? So, so the risk is that, you know, after this next season, when the Supermax kicks in, he's going to be making $50 million a year. What if he gets injured again? Now are you are looking at, you know, three of the last four years of injury prone? Uh What if he just doesn't ever really find himself at the four spot and his numbers slip, and now teams are trying to low lowball you on the trade market. And how do you make a trade work when a guy's making fifty million dollars? Like and you have to match salaries. So there don't get me wrong, there is a definite risk in keeping Cat um as his supermax kicks in because it's gonna be harder to trade him um once his supermax kicks in. And um if you are still looking to trade him, that means you're not making the Western Conference Finals. That means you're not making the NBA finals. That means you're getting another first round exit or even worse, God forbid, not making the playoffs at all. So now how do you get rid of a $50 million a year player who's at the beginning of an escalating $50 million contract? Not like one or two years left. It's just starting. And so that is the risk. And there is the risk And many fans of like we've seen enough of cat that that risk isn't worth buying into. I would say Michael Jordan won his first title when he was 28 years old. And so, you know, the other part is these guys come into the league so young now that fans get so much exposure to a guy's maturation process that fans are ready to be done with them right about the time they're hitting. The ball. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's that aspect of it as well. But as a coach, give me continuity any day of the week if that continuity is amongst talent. As a high school coach, if I can have a team that is full of sophomores and juniors and we can make it to the section finals, the last thing I'm trying to do is go out and see if I can find somebody to transfer in. Right. The last thing I'm focusing on is, okay, this eighth grader coming up might make my varsity roster as a freshman and unless that kid is a monster. I'm thinking about, How much stuff I don't have to prepare and teach in terms of our culture and our system going into fall camp next year, going into preseason work next year, going into summer workouts, because I got kids coming back that know our plays, our offenses, our defenses, our expectations, our culture, our, our, I have relationships with these guys. And now our whole mindset is from the first summer workouts, we're trying to win sections. We're going to state. We tasted. We tasted a little bit, and we're all back together again. And we all got to buy in, and we know we have the talent to do it because we're all a year older, more mature. Other teams and made moves, and guys and transferred, and players have graduated and moved on. It's our time now. But if you're constantly starting over all the time, and let's be honest, like you said, the starting over teams, the big trade deadline teams, where they at? Home. Austin got the same players they had for the last three seasons. Miami has the same players they've had for the last three seasons. Denver brought in two key free agent acquisitions. Both of them come off the bench. Otherwise, they got the same players they've had for the last three seasons. So continuity is obviously the answer,
1: right? And you talk about it in college too, when you you look at the the March Madness this year and how many <laughs> teams that nobody Thought I had a chance, but if you look at the roster, they got seven seniors. Yep. It's, yep. It's, it's, just, it's the way it's the way it should work. Um, again, it's just society's instant gratification. Go there. Gratification right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was good. Perfect case and example. Joe Mazzulla, the coach of Boston, uh, they won a seven-game series against Philly, I believe, sometime during or right after that series, they gave him a contract extension. Now you're in the conference finals. You're down 3-0. Now everybody ready to fire him. Wait a minute. A week and a half ago, <laughs> it was that dude. He went through Joel Embiid and James Harden came back from down when they down 3-2 came back from down 3-2 went on the road in one game six and then went back in one game seven. Joe Mazzulla's our man. Three games later. Fire this bum. He can't coach. <laughs> That's the society.
1: Yeah. in, hey, You know? And Chris, Finch, Chris Finch hasn't even got a chance. Like he yeah. hasn't got
0: a chance. He's had four rosters in two and a half seasons. He's going back to back to the playoffs for the first time in dang near 15 years or something like that. However long it's been. <laughs> man, we want to winning his coach in Timberwolves history after two and a half seasons and four rosters. And the fans want to fire him. Yeah. What in primity, criminy, criminy is going <laughs> on? Yeah, I know I went real old on that one. I went old Gooney Tunes. What in the hell, Stones, is going on with our culture when, you know, I love you today, but by 1201 after midnight, fire mm-hmm. that bum.
1: Man. <laughs> yeah, no, they. I, I, I definitely think the Wolves, they do got a runner back and I do understand the risk that we're taking with Cat and the value. Um, but I mean, either way, the way that this team is going, it's going to be Anthony Edwards team. So even if you do trade Cat and you bring somebody else in, um, you're still, a lot of this is going to have to do with how Ant progresses still and how more, how he becomes consistent because um, no matter who else you bring in, it's not going to be someone that's going to take the ball out of Ant's hands. So, you know, the value of cap might drop, but you're still going to have to be reconstructing around Ant either way if this doesn't
0: work out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, and it's still going to take time. I mean, what, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are, what, 25 and 26? Uh-huh. Because they've been in the spotlight in Boston and been in the playoffs since they were 20, you know, teams are, we need to break them up. We need to break them up. That Their run is over with. I'm going to repeat myself. Michael Jordan did not win an NBA championship until he was 28 years old. Scotty was, what, 27? Something like that when they won their first title. So what are we doing here when we're ready to just break up teams and throw everything out with the garbage, and these guys, you know, you can say, well, yeah, they came in the league earlier you know jordan didn't come in the league until he was 21 okay but whether you are spending years 19 20 and 21 under a dean smith structure or whether you're in an nba structure you're still 19 20 and 21 so even though kids are coming into the to the to the league a lot earlier they still not winning titles until they're 27 28 29 with a very few exceptions most notably D-Wade was what, 25, I think, when he won his first title, but he also had some dude named Shaq leading that, you know, as, as the locker room leader who had already won three titles. And, you know, of course LeBron's the exception to every rule. So, you know, um, D-Lo,
1: D-Lo I heard d say, uh, I think it was on the, the Wolves, the Wolves podcast. Um, but he said it took him, well, his first, Five years, four, four years in the league before he was really even adjusted to the whole travel situation. Um, like, I mean, you, I, I've, I play softball and I took a couple of trips back to back to back over, over three weekends and I was like, man, I'm ready to be home off these planes, off the, like, I, I I'm ready to go settle down. I couldn't even imagine going to the NBA and now having to be on, on the road four nights a week. Like, I, I couldn't even imagine to, you know, you're coming in at 19, 20, 21 years old. You're getting this money. You're trying to figure out how to deal with the finances. You're like, there's so much going on. The last thing that's on your mind is how, how much work is going to take to win a championship. Like you, and you don't know you got a lot. You got a lot going on before, before you, before you hop in here and start winning championships. Dude has been doing this for 10 years. Yeah.
0: And you have no idea how hard it is because right. you have to measure it against, right? You, know, you don't have a measuring stick. And especially that's the other thing that, you know, you're talking about coaching and culture and, you know, the Chris Finch is really the only champion on the Wolves roster. You know, he won the G League championship. He won a championship with his team overseas. You can't really count high school state championships when these guys are the elite of the elite. That's expected. You know, they're just more talented. You know? It's not like you have to outthink another team when you're Carl Anthony Towns in your high school, you know, unless you're going against another team with three future NBA players. Um, you know, uh, on on the squad. So learning how to win, uh, in the NBA is a whole different, uh, a whole different animal, you know, and, and, and I sit here and talk about it like, I don't know. I can only imagine as an adult male now how difficult it was. I know how hard it is to win an AAU championship. I know how hard it is to win a traveling championship. I know how hard it is to try to win a high school sectional championship from the third seat over. And so I just don't think people can understand, you know, when we're making these quick decisions, fire this guy, trade this guy. He's a bum. He's soft. He's that, you know, And but that's part of being a fan, right? The fan experience is I get to have my opinion with zero accountability everybody wants to have their input
1: yes indeed I'm and, and and you say this a lot but a lot of a lot of people that talk sports um they never even played like they yeah. they have no type of background when it comes to actually playing organized sports you know club ball sure but at a higher a higher level where you have responsibilities and 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 that requires dedication and determination and that, that's a lot of people don't have never done that. They, they, they're struggling with everything in life, let alone being
0: a, a freaking professional. Man, or even coaching, right? Like it, like so so many people are so critical of Chris Finch. And I think that Chris Finch did an amazing job. And, um, Howard Beck was just on with Ben Beacon last Friday on Locked on Wolves. And Howard Beck basically said the same thing that I said on this podcast, which was given Cat's injury and the fact that the Timberwolves had to constantly reinvent themselves you know because it wasn't just cast injury you mentioned Kyle Anderson um and and the role he ended up playing and we all saw how pivotal that Kyle Anderson was to that team because i'm pretty sure their record was trash in games he didn't play right and we talk about what well, was their season a success or a failure they won 42 games they had to go into playing was it a step backward because they lost more games than the previous year. And I've often mentioned, and Ben Beacon and, and uh Howard uh Beck brought this up, that, you know, you're missing Cat for 52 games. Well, if Cat's healthy for 40 of those 52 games and you win six more games, are you still looking at the season the same way? Because now you're a four seed. Well, we talked about those early season losses to San Antonio and to Utah, and I think Oklahoma City loss was thrown in there. Um And if I remember correctly, Kyle Anderson got hurt uh, midway through the first half of the first Utah loss at target center, um, when Utah came in here and beat them. And if I remember correctly, the Timberwolves were winning that game. It wasn't by that. It was early. They were winning that game when Kyle Anderson got hurt and then things went south and Kyle Anderson missed, you know, with that back injury, he missed four or five, I think games in a row. And those were some of the games against those quote-unquote tanking or lower-level teams, you know, lower-record teams, although Oklahoma City turned out to be a surprise, that the Timberwolves lost. So you take the Kyle Anderson injury and how they planned on using him, and that injury happens three games into the season. He hurts his back when he catches an elbow on a screen, and he misses five games at a time where you're trying to integrate all of these parts, and then we find out later Kyle Anderson a huge part of their success. Yeah. So if he doesn't get that injury – and they win three of those games that they lost to those bad teams. Well, three games this year was the difference between the eight seed and the four seed or the five seed, right? So all of those things in a vacuum. And yes, injuries happen to every team. Every team could say, if this guy didn't get hurt, if that guy didn't get hurt, so on and so forth. But that doesn't change the reality that those things are very, um, consequential, especially when you're at the fragile stage of building. Camaraderie with a new roster. So when you consider the wolves had to build a style of play, probably three to four times over the course of last season because of Cats injury, Kyle Anderson's injury, and then going to the playoffs, having to figure out a whole different identity without, you know, you go into LA without Rudy Gobert and Jaden McDaniels. And then you go into Denver without Jaden McDaniels, you know, um, and, and, and Nas Reed. You know, and Nas Reed was not there when they went in the in, in the LA as well. So, you know, you're constantly having to reinvent how you play with a team that never established a style of play. And I think you finally saw in the last two games of the Denver series a repeatable style of play that if you have all your parts and play this style, you can be a dangerous team over the course of the long haul. And that's why I'm a big proponent of you got to run it back because you don't know what is what but what you do know is if you start making major trades you're starting over again right um let's and 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 since we're talking about the Denver series um in my opinion there's some similarities between the Timberwolves and Denver and we touched on a little bit of it Denver sticking with their guy in Mike Malone Denver sticking with their personnel and Jokic and Murray and Michael Porter Jr., even though he missed, you know, he had three back surgeries, sticking with their personnel, making the Aaron Gordon trade and then really get, and Aaron Gordon making the sacrifice to fulfill a much needed role, right? Um, for, for that team. Um, you know, of course, bringing over Caldwell Pope was huge, a guy that perfectly fit his style of play, perfectly fit the role that they needed. And, Mike Conley would be an example of the Wolves, in my opinion, a guy that style of play, perfectly fits what the Wolves needed. It's just that Mike Conley got the last 10 games with the Wolves and Caldwell Pope got the whole season, right, with Denver. Um, But I think there's a lot of similarities also in how they play, right? And that's something that I haven't heard many people talking about. But if you listen to Denver's post-game interviews, there's a lot of talk about flow. There's a lot of talk about playing in flow, not having to run a lot of plays, but just flowing off of one another. Who does that sound like? Who gets critically brutalized when he keeps talking about playing in flow and letting the ball and the player's movement dictate where the shots come from? So is it Fincher's system that's the problem? Or is it the fact that the time together by those players to gel in that system hasn't been had? Because it's the exact same system. Yep. Denver's had their guys in it for a while. Yeah, and they,
1: I, I think the players, I think talent-wise, I think the Wolves match up very well with Denver and do have a lot of similarities when it comes to length, when it comes to size, and when it comes to, you know, they don't have a, a ton of three point shooters. They, I mean, they have a a few, and the Wolves also have a few guys that can make threes at, at will. Um, but I think the biggest difference between the two is just the, the intellectual, Mm. um, intelligence of the team, of the, of the players. I would say coach, uh, coach Finch has plenty of intelligence and is very basketball, you know, has a lot of intellectual, um, um qualities but when it comes to players like Cat I think that one of his biggest weaknesses is one he's extremely emotional and that takes over at times and gets in the way of his thought process um and Ant is just young and still trying to figure it out I think he's got the killer instinct but uh, just to slow the game down and think about um kind of things before they happen is where Jok- Jok- Jokic um, leads Denver and, and everyone kind of follows from that just because the ball is always in his hand. So you're constantly doing what he wants you to do. Even if you're not, you know, that's not your intention or your will. Um, he's, 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 uh, commanding and controlling the whole team. So I think, um, the biggest difference between the two teams isn't talent. I think it's just the intellectual side of the game and the wolves have a long way to go. Um, when it comes to that aspect of things, I think Kyle Anderson and Mike Conley are the only two that I can say are on the court and thinking the way that the game needs to be thought, um, to, to, to win championship level basketball.
0: You bring up something that I've been talking about, um, throughout the course of the season on Twitter with people is the wolves are trying to meet expectations with a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old playing two of the most pivotal positions in professional basketball, the two-spot and the Mm three-spot. And, yes, those guys are ridiculously talented, and they have body type and skill sets that give them physical advantages or allow them to cause problems physically for really talented elite-level NBA players because, you know, as you spoke, it's never – in the NBA, it's very rarely talent. Miami is a perfect example of that would you say Miami's players across the board is the top most talented roster in the NBA? No, but they lead the playoffs in deflections. They lead the playoffs in steals. They lead the playoffs in loose balls. They lead the playoffs in least amount of turnovers per game, right? And look where they are, right? And so that's all basketball IQ, anticipation, effort type stuff, right? And so I agree with you 100%. That the wolves and, and, you know, again, Coop, you know, we talked about it from, from pod one, will the wolves be mature enough to match their talent? And the answer was no, because, you know, Rudy gets suspended in the play and throwing jabs and Jaden's punching walls. So that says it all right there, let alone the rest of the on court stuff. However, um, it's so glaring now. Again, this is why I believe in running it back and why I believe that I agree with you, Lance. I think more than any other team in the Western Conference, the Wolves physical matchup is in when healthy, probably will give Denver fits. Um, And it's so glaring now. It's it's broadcast in Times Square style style lights. It's a it's a billboard over target center. Wolves need to grow up basketball IQ wise and intellectually. You can't hide it when the president of basketball operations comes out and basically says, we need players with high IQ in here. And when you got, you know, your star small forward defensive savant not playing in the playoffs because he can't control his emotions in the tunnel and you lose a winnable playing game in part because your defensive anchor is sitting at home because he decided he wants to throw jabs at people in the middle of a clutch game, right? Um, And then you talked about Cat already, although this is another reason why I'm buying into Cat. I felt like, again, as that Denver series played out, you saw a much more emotionally controlled Carl Anthony Towns, and I think he gets it. I really think he gets it. And going into year 28 of life, I just think – he gets it. And I think that people are going to regret it if the wolves move him, unless the wolves move him and strike lightning in a bottle and winning makes people forget that, you know, they traded cat, but you're still going to be counting on a 22 year old and a 23 year old at your starting two spot and your starting three spot. And we just talked about how Michael Jordan didn't win a title till he was 28. We just right. talked about how Tatum and Brown are 25 and 26. So winning with young players, no matter what's around them when you're counting on them being two of your potential all-star players, one of them already an all-star, and then winning at a high level in the playoffs, that's not the norm. That's not how the way it usually works, mm-hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit Miami-Boston, man, the rest of that series and get your prediction for, the NBA Finals before we close the show. Did you get a chance to see any of the game last night? Uh, I did watch it last. No, Boston and Miami. No, Boston, and Miami. Yeah, last night. Well, you you saw Boston show up. Yep, I did see did that. Up, <laughs> right. Um, and uh, I, it was are, it was close I, going into halftime, right? I think Miami had the yeah, lead. Yeah, it was it was a close game going into half, and you know, um, it was you know, uh, Miami. Stretched out a little bit midway through the third quarter and then Jason Tatum went Jason Tatum. <laughs> and, uh, and and then and then Marcus Smart was knocking down threes. And uh what's his name? Um uh Mr. I'm gonna poke Jimmy Butler and get lit up. Uh Grant Williams uh <laughs> knocked down a couple big threes, and once the threes started rolling for Boston, um, you know, what we thought was gonna happen throughout the series, I think happened uh, in the second half of that game, which was Boston's firepower took over, which is, you know, can Boston be consistent? The youth will tell. But that's the scary thing if you're Miami, because I think talent for talent, Boston's the more talented team. So it's not impossible that Boston can make NBA history and run off four in a row. But from what I've seen, I don't know if Jimmy's going to let that happen. I think if by the time we get, if it gets to game six, I think you're going to see one of them. Jimmy goes for 48 games. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I could be wrong. We don't know, but it just smells like Jimmy's pride will not allow him to be a part of the only team in NBA history to have a three nothing lead and lose a series. I yeah. Just... That's, that's, that's tough to do.
1: Um, but again, I, I, I am very shocked and surprised, and it, it's a huge testament just to the Miami again their culture. But the fact that they're even here with the players that they have on their roster—I mean, Kevin Love is in their starting lineup. Granted, he doesn't play a ton of minutes, but he, he's in their starting lineup. That—I <laughs> mean, it's 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 uh it's very it's, it's very surprising to me, and it's it's I think a lot of that has to do with Jimmy Butler. If he's not on that roster, that team. Probably doesn't okay. – Definitely doesn't make the playoffs. Like I, there's,
0: they're in the bot. There, yeah. So, I mean, they almost didn't make the playoffs. They lost their first game at home. Yep. You well, know, they were one. They were like in the same position as the Wolves. They were one loss away from being out of the playoffs altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you talk about culture again. We keep talking about the Miami Heat culture and identity and cohesiveness, right? People forget they're missing. Their starter and top six man. Yeah. They're missing Tyler Hero, who was last year, season before this past one, six man of the year. And they're missing Victor Oladipo, who's always hurt, so I don't know if they're really missing him. But he's a baller when he's playing, right? And so they're missing two key wing cogs, but they have a culture that says you do what you do well, you work your ass off at it, and when you come into the game, my college coach used to say, and I don't quote him very often, but I will quote him on this one. He said, shooters shoot, rebounders rebound, and everybody on guys green earth play defense. And that is the Miami Heat culture in a nutshell. You do what got you here and you work at it every day so that when the lights are brightest, you are doing it at a high level. And then Jimmy Butler and Bam say, and we are counting on you to do it. We demand that you do it and we are going to feed you the confidence to do it. And that's culture. Yeah, no, they, they definitely got something going
1: on over there and they have for a long time. Um, I would be, it would be mind blowing to me if they end up actually winning the finals. I don't see it happening. Um, But Hey, I mean, like you just said, there's those things are, are invaluable. So that that, that, those are championship qualities. So a lot of times, the hard work
0: beats talent. It's just the way it's the way it's always been. I don't think anybody saw them beating Milwaukee. I don't think anybody saw them being up three zero on Boston. So as much as I want to say, I don't see Miami winning the finals, especially that juggernaut that is Denver and the Joker. I, Miami's just been defying eyes all playoffs. So I wouldn't put my money on them. But at the same time, I would because I'm pretty sure that if you put your money on them and they win it, you get a King's ransom. <laughs> yep, you <definitely laughs> and you probably don't have to put a lot of money on it to get that King's ransom. So, you know. <laughs> uh, real quick, Lance, your prediction for the finals. Who's in it? Who wins it? I
1: can't see the Celtics pulling off three straight. Um, So I think it's going to be Denver and Miami. And I don't see Denver losing to Miami. I think they have not only the talent, but they have Miami's culture that they've built their own way over there in Denver. And I think that they play their way and nobody's going to take them out of that play. Um And Jamal Murray is playing at a level that is unbelievable right now. And so with those three things lined up, I don't think that anybody in the league is going
0: to beat them. I think that's a great point. And I also think at the end of the day that um denver's personnel not only are they playing the right way and doing it the right way but i just feel like they have the superior personnel and i've always said that when you have a team that's playing at their maximum and they're doing all the little things correctly they're rebounding they're not turning it over they're defending they're they're playing passing lanes they're up underneath you they're they're making their shots they're doing it all the right way they'll win almost all of their games the only games that they might lose is if they run up against another team that's doing it all the right way, but that team has better players. And I think that might be the case in the Miami Denver series. If it gets there, if Boston comes back, then all bets are off. Yep. Now you're talking about a team that's going to be hotter than hellfire. Yep. And now all bets are off because Tatum and Brown changed the variables a little bit. Uh. So with that said, though, I want to um, conclude our show. Uh, I do agree with your finals prediction um, at the end of the day. And I just want to conclude the show by uh, telling our audience base that if you have some trees hanging over power lines, if you got a tree in your yard that's going to fall on your neighbor's house, If you're just looking to change the lighting or the shading in your backyard, if you need some branches trimmed, if you got some diseased or dying trees, if you just want to change your landscaping, or if you just want to support an amazing young man doing an amazing job with his own business, support Lance Gardner and Yes Trees. Lance is our guest on today's episode of the Coach and the Culture podcast. Um, next show will be previewing or talking about the finals, which will probably be in full swing. Um, and we'll probably talk a little bit about the upcoming NBA draft. I'll do some research and, and talk a little bit about the draft and then also where or what the Timberwolves might do with their second round pick. And of course, there'll be probably lots more Colin Anthony Towns trade chatter between now and the next podcast. And, uh, I'm also working on a couple. Uh, different guests are coming in. I think we're going to try to get coach Omar McMillan in here. Um, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the legendary coach Larry McKenzie and also a trainer extraordinaire, former St. Paul central legend, co- former college basketball player and uh, a good friend of mine whose son is killing it in track and field. Um, in, on the national landscape broke a record for, uh, uh, the U.S. uh, nationals, uh, 20 and under long jump, Gerard Hughes, uh, junior, whose father is the one and only Gerard Hughes. So I'm talking with him about coming in. So continuing on with the culture of hoops in Minnesota basketball and just Minnesota, uh, sports. Um, but of course, putting the Timberwolves first and foremost in our conversation. Any parting shots, Mr. Gardner, Mr. Lance?
1: Yeah. Um, I just want to thanks for, um, allowing me to be on here. Hopefully we'll be able to do this again. Um, mm-hmm two things that I want to mention one for the for the, the tree aspect of things um there is a disease going around right now called emerald ash borer um there are little beetles that are flying around and infecting ash trees um I know a lot of the people in the inner cities are getting hit with these um, large bills the city is requiring you to take your trees down um so if you need someone to come out and assess your trees before you before it's too late um it is a lot cheaper to treat this tree than it is to get it removed and again at a certain point the city will force you to take it down um so i'd like to be of service of you to help you get that thing treated before um before it's too late um and then secondly um there's going to be a festival uh july 23rd called the godflow fest where um we are bringing in 15 of the top um christian rappers throughout the entire country um in here to first Ave. Um, black China will also be there, um, to share her story about being in the, um, industry and, and coming out of that and finding light again, um, in the spirit and, and her journey with the Lord now. Um, so again, that's on July 23rd, um, at first avenue. If you want to find more there on Instagram, it is God flow underscore fest. Again, that's G O D F L O W underscore fest um if you want to come out and um turn up to something that might be a little more positive than what a lot of uh, uh music is going around right now um uh, feel free to check it out tickets are on sale now
0: that's what's up man that's 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 good stuff good plug man and uh yeah i'm gonna have to check that out man i, I got hit to some christian rappers uh here in the twin cities that were ooh, them boys was fire so yeah, that sounds like a good event to check out. And I haven't been the first to have in a long time. So uh Lance Gardner, Yes Trees, here on the Coach and the Culture podcast. Man, we're definitely going to have you back on, Lance. And, uh, you know, I need you to go ahead and keep doing that tree work because we're going to be hitting you up for sponsorship pretty soon. <laughs> tr- <laughs> Lloyd said he got to get paid, man. We. <laughs> You got to get some advertising sponsors because Lloyd, he said, if we want him to stay awake while we talking our shit, we need a check. <laughs> <laughs> <What> a, <laughs> all across the podcast world, you have been listening into the coach in the culture podcast, talking Minnesota Timberwolves and more. I am coach Frank and uh special guest, Lance Gardner and super producer, Lloyd Cook. We will catch you guys in about 10 days to two weeks. Thank you very much for listening. Peace.